Hello there, boys and girls, and welcome to another episode of Circling the Bases, probably a part of NBC Sports Edge. I am your host, Colin Henderson. Joining me today, as always, Mr. Christopher Crawford. Chris, some exciting news here for those who may not be aware. The Fantasy Sports Writers Association officially announced their award winners last week. And while this podcast was proud to just be nominated, our very own NBC Sports Edge Fantasy Baseball Draft Guide takes home the crown in yeah. Best Fantasy Baseball Publication. Chris, I know how hard you and everyone here at NBC Sports Edge works on that magazine, so allow me to congratulate you, sir. Well, thank you very much, and it was an honor, and it was great to have you participating in our drafts, and that was really cool. And uh, I will say this, it is it is a labor of love, but boy, it, it's a labor. Like I, I mm-hmm. think people who can tell, like reading it, that we put a lot of work into it. So it's very cool to be honored. Uh, congrats to Pitchers List, I guess, on their win, whatever. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm just yeah. Alex <laughs> yeah, yeah, Pitchers yeah, List for their yeah. win. They're a so well-deserved good. title. A yeah, well-deserved like, title. I mean, honestly, I, I saw the announcement and I looked immediately and went. My first thought was, yeah, okay, yeah, like, yeah. That's you, totally fair. That's a great is, podcast, and Alex oh Fast does a phenomenal job. There's all five of those podcasts yes. are so flipping good. Like they are so good. And, um, you know, it would have been nice to win. But at the same time, it's so nice to see we're a big boy. You know, we are a, mm-hmm. a major company, that type of thing. It's nice to see um, the little guys. Not that they're like so, some tiny dinky operation in like uh, yeah, some small. Some yeah, yeah they're very they are very, very good and they are very deserving of their win. But I was super excited to see that the draft guide won just because. You know, everybody could participate, uh, works really hard on that thing. But in particular, um, DJ, Drew, Ryan and Matt Pouliot worked so hard on those rankings mm-hmm. and putting those projections together that it was very cool to see. And it's it's very fun to win an award. Um, I, I don't actually get anything. I, I wish we actually like got something, you know, like sent to me I because mean, what, I'm is selfish. This, is, this, is this public pat on the back for me? Yeah. Not enough for you? I mean, yeah. how much more do you need? <laughs> oh, God, so much. Here's the participation trophy generation. Just trying yeah. to get everything I want. <laughs> but I won. That's the thing. <laughs> that's, that's actually not fair. That's actually completely unfair. It's completely but, unfair. That's actually a championship, and we celebrate championships <laughs> around here. Dang it. Absolutely. Um, yes. Congratulations to everybody at NBC Thank Sports you. Edge for that magazine and Alex Faust know that uh, this is bulletin port material and we're, we're coming, coming for you for next you. year. That's all Heck we know. Yeah. Heck yeah. Uh, coming up on the show today, Chris and I will continue our positional previews as we have been doing here on Circling the Bases. And today we're talking shortstops. We will be discuss- discussing some of the game's best. So make sure you come back to this episode and all of our positional previews here on Circling the Bases once the 2022 season finally at some point begins. And it would be remiss for us to, I know this is going to be an evergreen episode, but we it would be remiss of us to not discuss what's currently happening right now. And that is, we are recording this episode at 8.04 p.m. Eastern time on February 28th. And this is the self-imposed deadline for Rob, that Rob Manfred and the owners have made. So while you may be listening to this on March 1st, you probably will hear something before we do that is opening day is canceled and is postponed. There's talk about owners being cool with missing straight up the entire first month of the year. And obviously that's just being thrown around now, but opening day is officially in turmoil now. And while this was unbelievably easily foreseen, it is equally as disappointing. Yeah, I mean, it stinks. It, it stinks out loud. This is the the a horrible thing. As as somebody who was old enough to remember being a child in 1994, I, I'm getting those flashbacks. And, you know, I, I have kind of changed my tune on those things. And it's also worth pointing out that that was a strike compared to a lockout. But at the same time, work stoppage is work stoppage. And John Q fan doesn't care whose fault this is. Mm-hmm. Like, they just don't. And it's going to really hurt the sport. And it stinks to see the owners being so short-sighted and not realizing how bad this is for the sports. And here's hoping that, um, you know, that something gets worked out again. I will say this. I don't want to deal just for the sake of the deal though, either. I do want something that is going to be beneficial for these players who work so hard for the game. It is not a good idea, but ultimately what I really hope is, is that ownership realizes 
yeah, a strike in June if they can't get the deal done is going to stink. But at least we're going to get some Major League Baseball games. And right now, we are in peril of not getting Major League Baseball games. Yeah, and I don't want to take this episode over to, to, to talk about just all the things that we've really been discussing for the last couple months because right. it's just there's been so little movement on the ownership in particular's fronts. I mean, from what we can tell sitting on our couches at home and reading our phones, uh, it seems like the players have tried to at least come to the negotiating table with good faith, have made concessions, and it does not seem that the owners are willing to make basically any concessions. And every concession they seem to make uh, is an inch, and they keep claiming that it's a mile. And right. I think we're just getting to the point now where we as fans are just – we're frustrated that pitchers and catchers haven't reported. We're frustrated sure. that we're talking about this rather than gearing up our fan bases for our, you know, for our seasons. It's, it's looking into a spring and summer that we don't know what's happening and we don't know what's going on. And there isn't a human being out there who can genuinely tell you with any level of confidence when there will be actual professional baseball games being broadcast on your television. So yeah. or at a stadium near you. So it's just really disappointing. I was really hoping we would not get to this level, but Me too. it is February 28th. That is apparently the deadline that the owners have set, and yep. it is about to come and go without really much headway towards getting a deal done. Colin, if if something breaks in the middle of our shortstop episode, I'll just yell out like banana or something oh, like no, that. If, yeah, <laughs> if you, if you don't have to give me a, a code word say for it anywhere in that thing. You just scream it out, all right? Yeah, you get right. something good on live right now. I want it. I want the honest reaction from you. I, right I, I have three screens open right now. It's <laughs> it's, it's our recording. It's our shortstop rankings, and it's Evan Drellich of The Athletic. And those are the only things I will be looking at for the next hour or so. Perfect. Well, let's get to the shortstops then while we hopefully await some word, but yeah. not really await yeah. anything. <laughs> and let's start with our shortstop ranking. So like in uh, other preview episodes, we are going to kind of just list our top 12. Chris and I do not know each other's top 12s yet. So we will link our top 12 rankings. We'll hike back up to the top of the rankings and then pretty much walk it down. Chris, why don't you start us off? Give us your top 12 from the shortstop spot. Okay, that sounds good. And once again, I am so thankful to DJ and Drew for letting us do this one because what a fun position. Yeah, I know. All Honestly, right. I, thought, I had to look at the schedule when they announced yeah. it. And I was like, Then I realized we get shortstops, but we also get relievers. And yep. I feel like that was a fair trade at the end of the day. 100%. All right, <laughs> so here we go. My top 12, and I bet you we have – a ton of differences and maybe even at the top. Mm -hmm. Number one, Fernando Tatis Jr. Number two, Trey Turner. Number three, Bo Bichette. Number four, Xander Bogarts. Number five, Marcus Simeon. Number six, Tim Anderson. Number seven, Corey Seager. Number eight, Wander Franco. Number nine, Francisco Lindor. Number 10, Trevor Story. Number 11, Carlos Correa. And at number 12, Bobby Wood Jr. Okay. Uh, yeah, we already we, – definitely some disagreements here. I'm looking forward to getting into them. I'm going to start awesome. right off at the top. I This was easily – and I've, I haven't done all my outfield rankings yet. Sure. And i got to get my starting – and I haven't done yeah. yet. But this was easily the hardest discussion I had as to who Easy. was number one. And yeah. I gave Trey Turner the nod ever so sure. slightly. But yeah. that's a 1A, 1B for me. Trey Turner, one. Fernando Tatis Jr., two. Bichette, three, Xander Bogarts, four, Tim Anderson, five, Marcus Semien, six, Trevor Story, seven. That's our big mm. disagreement there. Juan sure. Franco, eight, Corey Seager, nine, Javi Baez, 10, Francisco Lindor, 11, and Carlos Correa, 12. Awesome. So, it so let's looks, start, let, yeah, let's yeah, start with one, two. Let's start with yeah. one, two, because this is fun. Because, I mean, again, this is like a you can't go wrong barring injury. You can't go wrong with either of these two. But give me your explanation for you picking Tatis over Turner. Oh, it, it, first of all, it's super hard because yeah. like both of those guys, I think you rank them one and two in your drafts. Like that that would be the two guys mm -hmm. that I would have. A, all due respect to Juan Soto, who we will get to talk about in the outfield thing next. But Fernando Tatis Jr. is just different to me. And it will be different. And he will be a different player next year, too, because I'm not sure where he's going to qualify. I'm really curious to see what the plan is for him long term. It doesn't really matter, though, because I think he's that type of guy who is going to be 
near the very top of every category. And all due respect to Trey Turner, I don't see 28 homers coming again. I'm not even sure if I see 20 to 25 homers again. I don't love that park for him. Like he hit 10 in 52 games, and that's right about on the same uh, park pace that he was going to be built, uh, right around the same pace he would have had if he would have stuck with the Nationals. But Fernando Tatis Jr., I mean, if you look at the numbers he put up and then realize that he was injured, holy crap. Like, Fernando Tatis Jr. was on pace to have a superstar. Like, obviously, he had a superstar season. But, like, that upper echelon Mount Rushmore type of year, I I think he's going to keep getting better. It's worth pointing out that this is a guy who has not reached his peak yet. Trey Turner is going to turn 29 this year. I think this is – what you got from him was the very best that you got. Now, I could see him repeating it, too, and that's good. That's obviously good. Otherwise, we wouldn't have him ranked second in the most loaded of loaded categories. But I just think there's more upside, and I cannot I, – I don't think I'll ever be able to pass on Fernando Tatis Jr. in fantasy baseball leagues, even with obvious injury concerns. And I imagine that's something you're going to talk about right now. Look, my heart picks Fernando Tatis Jr. number one overall on this list. But yes, to my mind, it is the slight injury. The again, if we have to pick and you know pick and choose between these two, because again, we're splitting hairs here. But right. when you talk about Tatis, I do worry a little bit about injury. Again, that swing that he had last year, and again, he put up top three MVP numbers with basically something wrong with his right shoulder, and still right. and still was able to put up MVP numbers on that. Just imagine what he did with 100 games. And remember, I mean, with at 100%, and keep in mind also, last year was the first time we've seen him play over 100 games in a season. Like, mm-hmm. that's how, that's that's the type of myth that Fernando Tatis Jr., Tatis Jr. is about to create for himself. He just played over 100 games for the first time, and he did it on like one and a half shoulders and still put up top three MVP numbers. But I do worry about that injury a tiny little bit. That gives me a slight knock there. And also, Trey Turner... Going to the Dodgers, I think, changes this conversation more than – like if Trey Turner was still on the Nationals, Tatis is number one for me. But right. Trey Turner being on the Dodgers and just the loaded lineup that's around him, he's going to be batting like in front of Mookie Betts for his for um, for basically the entire year, and he won't have a pitcher in front of him this time. He's actually going right. to get a lineup around him that isn't going to be an auto out directly in front of him. So I like that quite a bit. I think – he might steal even more bases this upcoming year. I do worry with you. Does he get to 28 home runs? Like 20 to 25, I'd be perfectly content with. But sure. like he's going to get 120 runs if he stays healthy all year. He's going to bat 320 if he if he's healthy all year. And, you know, he has 30-plus stolen base. He had 32 last year. He could get to 40 if he really oh, yeah. was motivated easily. So sure. give me Trey Turner one, but really is, is a 1A, 1B. Yeah, um, there's – they're, they're both so good. And I yeah. I will say this. This is the other reason why I have Tatis Jr. If Trey Turner has a 15 homer season, there is no chance he has 1-1 value. It's, it's just fair. not. He could, he could hit 350, and he's still not going to be 1-1 value. Whereas Fernando Tatis Jr. can hit 270 and still become 1-1 because if he hits 270 and he's playing a full season, it's still probably coming with 45 homers, 100 RBIs, and a similar number of steals. So that's just the one thing. If Trey Turner plays the year that he had last year, then he is the number one pick, and it's not even close to me. But because of the fact that he has to max out on his homer thing, mm-hmm. whereas if Fernando Tatis Jr., you know, he does swing and miss an awful lot, bottom 3% or bottom 3% of whiff percentage in baseball. If he doesn't reach that average category, he still can become the number one player because of he's almost guaranteed to contribute in every other category. Both of us have Bo Bichette as our number three. I mm-hmm. look, I, it is. It feels almost disrespectful of Bobichet that we can't put him in that top category with Turner and them because he's just done everything since coming up. Like literally yeah. everything since he's got the call has been amazing. Last year, hit just shy of 300 with an OPS of 827, 29 homers, 102 RBIs, 121 runs, and 25 stolen bases. And he only got caught stealing once last year. So right. I mean, 25 and 26 on the base pass is pristine. Um, so I have no problem locking him in at, at number three. If I miss out on Turner or Tatis, I am smiling yeah. ear to ear if I have Bichette on my roster. 
He's so good. The only thing for Bo Bichette to take that next step, and let's keep in mind that he's only 23 years old right yeah. now too, yeah. is he's got to improve the approach of the plate. Like mm-hmm. the, these, uh, the walk percentage was in the bottom 13th percentile and the chase rate was in the third percentile. Now, the chase percentage doesn't matter as much to me because he's an unbelievably good bad ball hitter. Like he can make hard contact any of any part of the plate, but I do need to see a little bit better of approach. But would it shock me if Bo Bichette like ended up being shortstop one? Not at all, especially in that Blue Jays lineup. Like that is just like as good as the Dodgers are and as good as the Padres are in terms of offensive potential. I think the Blue Jays are the best, especially if George Springer stays healthy. Like he is going to get a chance to knock in a lot of runs and steal a lot of bases and hit a lot of homers no matter where he hits. So, yeah, there's a huge upside with Bo Bichette and there's a huge floor as well. Just those other two guys are just so much like it is not an insult to Bo Bichette at three. It is a compliment to Turner and Tatis at one and two. You had Bogarts four. I had Bogarts four two, correct? Yes. So both of us have Bogarts at four, and I'm and I love Bogarts. I think me too. Bogarts, and again, I'm a Yankee fan, so I am more accustomed to like Xander <laughs> Bogarts. Like I like I watch him with both hate and love in, in his eyes. Oh, you know yeah. what I mean? But sure. what he he just continues to just put up elite shortstop numbers. Like he just puts up elite numbers across the board. They may not blow anything out proportion. He might not win any category of anything amongst shortstops. But if you told me I had to pick one person who's going to be in the top three of every offensive category from the shortstop position, sand stolen bases, Xander Bogarts might be my pick. Yeah, it's, I totally think that's fair. I, the, the only reason why Bogarts, I think, ranks below those big three is you're talking about 20 to 25 stolen bases with those guys, and you're not going to get that from Xander yeah, Bogart. Five I, from I think him last year. Yeah. Five from him last year. So that's, that's the only thing here. But would it shock me if he ended up being in that range? No, not really, because he's a lock to hit 300. I mean, he hits 295 to 300, I think, every year. And yep. a little better BABIP luck. Maybe you're looking at a 315, 320, and you're going to get those 25 to 30 homers. Solid lineup as well. It seems like Xander Bogarts like drops a little bit every year in drafts. And then you wonder why the hell did Xander Bogarts drop in drafts? Because he has as high a floor, not just of any shortstop, but as any player in baseball. Mm-hmm. He's he's a guy that I would be considering like if you're picking like top 20, I think even without the stolen bases, Xander Bogarts is a, posi- a guy that if you take in the top 20, I don't think it's nuts at all. It's just, again, there are three shortstops that are so good that you have to rank them above. Look, Xander Bogarts was the eighth shortstop drafted out of drafts last year. And it just feels, so crazy. It feels disrespectful to him considering he continues to do everything that you could ask for. And still somehow everyone's like, oh, well, you know, Trevor Story. And you're like, but, but, but well, hold on a second. <laughs> Xander Bogarts continues to do everything that you ask him to. He just doesn't play at Coors Field. So give me Bogarts at number four. I, I loved that. I think that top four was where I felt really good. And now after that, I thought everything really opened up. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's uh, you and I had, you and I had Tim Anderson and Marcus Simeon at five and six. Right. You just had Simeon at five. I have Simeon at six or or Mm -hmm. other way around. Yeah. You have Simeon at five. I have Simeon at six. I have Anderson at five. You have Anderson at six. Let's talk about both of them here. Sure. I know how much you have, you've not, I want to say flip-flop because that, that has connotation to it, but you've, you've gone the gambit when it comes to Tim Anderson. You've oh yeah. Gone the, you've gone the, Oh, well, there's no way he could possibly keep this average up because of how much of a free swinger is. And then all of a sudden it was like, but he keeps making contact every single time. So like, yeah. I guess he can keep up this average. And I know that sure. you've gone through that a couple of times um, yeah. with him. And I've kind of gone through the same thing with Marcus Simeon in terms of like, look, is he good? And then every single time he just, just does what he did last year. And you're like, yeah, yeah. okay, he is. He's really yeah. good. Sure. And he deserves the contract that he makes. So talk about both of those guys for me. Yeah. Like, so this is the only reason that I would be reticent about taking Tim Anderson with a very high draft pick is because like he said, 335, 322, 309. So the average is dipping a bit, but like still helping you win that average mm-hmm. category. And then some, it's just, there is that chance that if he has, does have the batting average balls in play, bad luck, that everything can kind of fall apart. So that that's the reason why I have – now, look, Marcus Simeon is probably not going to hit anywhere close to that kind of average, 
but he's going to double the home runs that Tim Anderson is going to put up. And he's probably going to double the RBI, even though the White Sox lineup is so complete. He's just not a big RBI guy. I think his career high is, yeah, I'm looking here, 64. And then, you know, there, there are some concerns about the stolen base type stuff. Like in a points league, Tim Anderson is very rough because he's not going to draw any walks. And the fact that he's going to get caught stealing, like he 18 out of 25 is not horrible. It's not an elite number, though, by any means. But Tim Anderson can literally help you win the average category. I, I, would it shock? Would it be a huge surprise to me if he hit like 330 again? No. But I just think that Marcus Simeon is just a little bit more complete player. And sometimes, you know what? I'll be honest. I struggle because Tim, Marcus Simeon is a much better real life player than Tim Anderson. I'll do respect. And sometimes it's hard to ignore that. But I do think the fact that Marcus Marcus Simeon's power is legit. And either one of these guys, you are doing just fine at shortstop one if they're on your roster. Do you have a worry at all about Marcus Simeon going to Globe Life, which I know it's early in the it's early in the stadium's career, so to speak, but it does seem to be playing as a little bit more of a pitcher's park than a hitter's park. Right. Do you worry at all about his gaudy power numbers, which he's had two of the last three years? Do you worry at all about them going to Globe Life? Maybe just a little bit, and that's what probably why I couldn't put him anywhere close to where I ranked. Uh, like there is a tier, I think, here. Like the drop mm-hmm. from four to yep. five, six, seven is a fairly significant one, but not really. I mean, his expected slugging percentage was in the 66th percentile. His barrel percentage was in the 63rd percentile. He hit a lot of pole homers, and that does seem like that is maybe the better area to be hitting the ball in Globe Life, like into that left field. Like, because, like, I'm looking here, it's just a bunch of red in the left field, and then there's a couple into right. He is not a a, a pole to pole power hitter, so maybe a little bit, but I think he might compensate, like, if that homer, instead of 45 homers, he hits 30 homers. I think he's going to steal more bases. I think the Rangers are going to run. So I think that 15 stolen base thing, and he's still got plenty of speed becomes more like 20 to 25 to justify a little bit loss in the pop. Yeah, he's also going to lose a little bit in the run scored category as well, just not being on that lineup that was surrounding him. Obviously, I mean, granted, Corey Seager, let's talk about Corey Seager a second. Both of them on this shortstop list, I have Corey Seager at nine. You have Corey Seager at seven. Uh, I have Corey Seager at seven, yes, sir. Okay, so let's talk about Marcus Simeon and Corey Seager, the two new battery mates up the middle for the Rangers. Obviously, both of them coming over in a just free agent flurry. And yet, even though Corey Seager gets the more money, we both have Marcus Simeon ahead of him in terms of fantasy prospects. Talk to me about that. Yeah, it's the it's the case of the power, man. And I, I know that Corey Seager has well above average power in his left-handed bat. And he's certainly not a dink or dunk hitter, but he's never hit more than 26 homers in a season. Marcus Simeon's going to hit 26 homers like in his sleep, as long as he stays healthy. So that's something you have to keep in mind. Kyle Seager is a better all-around hitter. Like he's going to hit right around 290, 300. I think he's going to get on base at a maybe similar clip, not necessarily the, the, a different way though, because Marcus Simeon draws more walks. The question mark for me, and it's why I couldn't put him above Anderson and I couldn't above uh, couldn't put him above Simeon, is he's not going to steal bases. His career high is four, and I think that that is going to be his career high for a while. And the fact that he just doesn't have that elite pop, it, and I don't think that's going to show up in Globe Life Field either. So look, I have him seven, so obviously I like him quite a bit. But I need to see that 30 homer season, that 30 to 35 homer season, and he is now, let's see, Kyle Seeger, or excuse me, rest in peace, Kyle Seeger, and not, <laughs> not dead Kyle Seeger, but I will miss watching you play Kyle Seeger. But Corey Seeger is going to turn 28 at the end of April. So it's not like he is this 24 or 25-year-old that we're waiting for these 30 homer seasons. Still like him a lot. think he's a great shortstop one, but I can't take him over those six because I think 20 homers is more likely than not. Completely agree with you. I have, like I said, I have met nine in that same sense, that kind of like next tier down. I mean, he's going to help you in the the batting average category more than Marcus Simeon ever will. I mean, he's just a better pure hitter. But like you said, he just does not have the power that Marcus Simeon is going to bring to that, um, bring to your lineup. Speaking of lineups, I'm very curious to see how Texas, and again, unfortunately with 
this lockout happening means that we don't have a full understanding of complete roster construction just yet. But I'm very curious to see how that lineup shakes out in Texas, who's hitting in front of who, who's hitting behind who, just because that's going to matter when it comes to runs scored and RBIs a little bit more, considering those are their two best offensive players. But I think when you're talking about Corey Seager, especially if you work in a points league, Corey Seager, I think, might take an extra bump up just because he does not – his strikeout-to-walk ratio is pretty good. Last year, yeah. in just 94 games, 66-48 to 48 K-walk ratio. I mean, mm-hmm. that's borderline elite. So if you're telling me that that's the kind of K-walk ratio he can bring, I think that's helped you out in all of those ratio categories where Marcus Simeon can help you out more in counting stats. And I think this is right. a great spot to kind of talk about when you're drafting – especially with the shortstop position in mind, how you uh, your draft decisions kind of flow into how you make this. If you yeah. have already spent big money on power guys ahead of the ahead of Marcus Simeon or Corey Seager in drafts, well then maybe I go Corey Seager in this spot because I want to shore up my ratio stats. If I've gone yeah. for someone who's going to get me more ratio stats ahead, maybe I look more Marcus Simeon so I can bank in 30 plus home runs. So right. just kind of look at this. I, When I tend to draft, I tend to look at the shortstop position as kind of my branch point. Where did yeah. – because usually they go in the first two rounds anyways. Depending on which shortstop I get, okay, well, now I know – all right, if Xander Bogarts ends up being you know a guy up front, well, now I want more counting stats afterwards. Like I just want to be able to roster construct based off of my shortstop. And Marcus Simeon, Corey Seager, and kind of great example of which way – the two different routes you might go depending on – who your first overall pick is. That's a really good point. And, that, and also, like like you were saying, like that's one of the reasons why the big three are so good because they are going to help you in three categories, barring something we can't foresee. Like they are going to help you in average homers, stolen bases. Then as we get down into this list, it becomes more, not necessarily one category, guys, but it's like there's specific categories where these guys are going to help you at the most. Like, Marcus Simeon is going to help you the most at the power category. Corey Seager is going to help you the most at the average category. They'll help elsewhere too, except for the mm-hmm. fact that again, with Corey Seager, no stolen bases, just, just lock that in. He is going to steal like two or three at most. And it's going to probably need a double steal type of thing. I was going to bring up a double where, steal, a classic, yeah, a classic yeah, double steal. Yeah. Where they, and they, you know what? The catcher is going to be throwing to where Corey Seager is running. So don't even take that into <laughs> necessarily where that's going. He is. I not, think that was a couple years ago when Miguel Cabrera or, or Albert Pujols, one of the two, just like two, three years ago, had like three stolen bases at the end of the year. And all nice. three of them were on the double steal. And I was like, awesome. got to bank the three stolen bases into that hey. fantasy lineup, man. Yeah, that's, bank them. That is so fun. Yeah, right, let's talk ahead. about Wander Franco a second here, because that's I know so obviously you being our you being our prospect guru here. I mean, let's we've been talking about Wander Franco for what seemingly ever for someone who is so young. And in his first taste of major league action lived up to every single piece of accolade he had brought up until that point played in only 70 games last year after being called up, but had 81 hits hit 288 with an OPS over eight, seven homers, 39 RBIs and 53 runs stole two bases on top of that. Now, obviously that was his first foray into the professionals, but what do you look at Wander Franco kind of going into his first full year now in 2022. So it's been kind of interesting. And, you know, if you're not on Twitter, congratulations. But if you are on Twitter and you follow fantasy baseball stuff, there's been a lot of talk about Wander Franco and where he really belongs in drafts. And I keep seeing folks, very smart folks, folks that are smarter than I by a long shot, not saying a whole heck of a lot, but they are definitely smarter than I am. Talk about whether or not Wander Franco has upside for the 2022 season. And I keep wanting to bash my laptop over my head because it's insane. Wander Franco turns 21 this year. There is nobody that has as much upside outside of Fernando Tatis Jr. as Wander Franco. I get the concern because we are a fantasy community about the stolen bases. He is very fast but he is not a great stolen base guy. Like he has never been a guy who suggests 40 steals or anything like that. 
He doesn't have to have 40 steals to reach his stealing. This guy is a lock of lock of lock of locks to hit for average. He makes so much hard contact, has such good bat-to-ball skills. In today's day and age, with how much swing and miss there is in the game, a 20-year-old struck out 37 times in 308 of plate appearances. I'm going to repeat that. A 20-year-old in today's day and age, where people are often striking out 33 to 40% of the time, struck out 37 times in 308 plate appearances while walking a solid 24 times in that that thing. So it's not just him swinging at the first pitch. He has insane upside. I don't know if you can justify taking him in the first two or three rounds. Everything about beyond that is fair play. Wander Franco is a superstar who has to be rostered at the top of dynasty leagues everywhere, but he's going to be really good in 2022. And I think he's going to help in a lot of categories like that postseason, especially like, he, you know, it's a smaller sample size, but he was the best player on the field for some of that postseason against the Red Sox. That's saying something, man. There were some really good players and Wanda Franco as a 20 year old and a guy who doesn't turn 21 a must-have, like a must-have on a roster. I'm going to be taking him in the fourth or fifth round if I can. I, I just see superstar potential, and I think it starts next year, and I think the talks about whether or not he has upside, even if he only steals 10 bases, are nuts. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more here, and I think this is like the natural blowback we tend to have when someone matches our, expectation, matches our expectations, and then we go, well, I can't match him again. Well, you know what right. I mean? Like, you know, we, we've been talking him up for years. Then he lived up to the hype. And then we're like, well, I can't continue to live up to the hype. And you're like, all right, this is an overcorrection. I'm all for Wander in 2022. I have him as number eight on my list. Eye test. I know that sometimes yeah. we tend to get too deep into the stats here, but just straight eye test. Yeah. If you watched any point of his debut last year, you looked at that guy and said, that is an all-star. Like that yeah. is a big leaguer in every stretch of the word. Uh, I'd have no problem with him being my starting shortstop this year. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's really good. And I think it kind of leads in. I know he it's, it, you're not, you don't have this guy in your top 12, but uh, that is one of the reasons why Bobby Witt jr. Is my number 12 and why he's a shortstop one. Like I'll be very curious to see how far down your rankings we have to go to before we see this guy. But like he has, even if he is not playing in that first month, nobody might be playing in that first month, to be completely honest with you. But even if we have to wait a little bit, he passes that eye test for me, too. And I don't want to come off as um, braggadocious, but my eye test matters a little more than other people. I'm just going to tell you right now. My eye test matters a little more than people because of what I have done for a living, I think. And again, feel free to make this a freezing cold take episode if you have to. But Bobby Wood Jr.'s, the eye test tells me that he's going to contribute in five categories right away. And that's why I think he is a guy that you have to consider for your shortstop one. Have to be a guy that I think you take in the top 100 picks. I get it. There's some other good shortstops that we can talk about, too. But Bobby Wood Jr., he's not he's not Wander Franco because very few people are Wander Franco. But he's in that next tier, man. And he has a chance to actually be a better fantasy guy because he's going to steal more bases. Yeah, 33 home runs and 29 stolen bases between Double A and Triple A last year. That just speaks for itself. I right. have him at six, I have him at 16 on my list, but wow. the only reason why he is at 16 is because I just don't know when he's officially going to get the call up. That's 100 percent fair. I don't know if he's when he's officially going to get the call up, and it's yep. hard for me to like pass on guys like Carlos Correa for someone who might for all we know, end up having a wander level type get to the majors where it takes a couple months for him to get. Sure. That's my only, that's a knock on that. And then also just as I do with every, with any prospect, they just got to show it at the highest level. That's all. I believe in him wholeheartedly. I just need to see it at the highest level before I start taking him over guys who have proved it up there, but I have him at 16. I absolutely love him. Look, if he were to fall even slightly in a draft, I will gobble him up in a heartbeat. Um, Do I want him as my shortstop one? Preferably no, if I can help it, just because I want someone that I can kind of guarantee right from day one. But you know what? If you happen to miss on a a bunch of shortstops, you end up going outfield, you end up going elsewhere, I'd have no problem if Bobby Wade is your high upside. You know what? I need someone who could potentially be a top 10 shortstop that falls outside the top 100. Bobby Wade might be at the top of that list. 
That's totally fair. And I think we have the only difference that we have is you have Javi Baez in your top 12 because we both have Francisco Lindor, Trevor Story, and Carlos Correa at 9, 10, 11. What are your rankings below, Franco? Below Franco, I have Seeger at 9, I have Javi Baez at 10, I have Lindor at 11, and I have Correa at 12. Okay, so let's talk. Okay, so the name that we kind of differed on a little bit here, too, is Trevor Story. Oh, that's right, yes. And Trevor Story is kind of a, a fascinating one to me because so much of it is going to depend on where he's playing yeah. and for who he is playing. If Trevor Story ends up being the shortstop for the Yankees, which I think we've like we assumed was going to happen a while ago, but it seems less and less likely. I it almost seems it. I almost see, think the most likely landing spot for him right now, even though the Mariners have said that J.P. Crawford, by the way, I love you, son, but you're not in my top 25 as much as I like you. J.P. Crawford is good, a very good defensive shortstop, and they have said that they're committed there. Trevor Story makes the most sense for the Seattle Mariners. And if he's with the Mariners, I think the 10 ranking is probably safer than – I think you have him at 7. What would you yeah. say? I would, if, I, would if, lower, I would lower him if he was playing at whatever is now called Safeco. I mean, so where are, Safeco. where are you – yeah, me too. Where are you hoping Trevor Story lands then? I don't know if I have a particular like hope or desire to see him land one way or the other. What I will say is when I was trying to view how to rank Trevor Story, first and mm-hmm. foremost – I tried, and I know it's – and again, we, we tend to get selective as fantasy analysts. But yes. looking at last year, knowing full well that the the lack of contract, the oh, terrible yeah. team, the, the hatred of ownership, the divorce that basically happened a year ago that we just had to kind of like sit through, I can very easily see how that led to a not great year in his walk year. Like I can right. see how all of those factors here and the absolute – you know skeleton of a crew around him like I, I can very easily see why trevor story did not lead up to the the numbers that he's put up in years prior hit 253 with 24 homers and 74 rb 75 rbis 20 stolen bases like that's right. a that's a down year for him and i know yep. that he plays at coors field but i think after watching nolan arenado leave and go to st louis and i think everyone kind of expected his power numbers and everything's to kind of completely sap out when he left Coors Field. And he turns out to still be a very good third baseman and a very good fantasy third baseman. I have the same kind of feeling with Trevor Story. I look at Trevor Story in the way that I have his entire career. And I say, okay, so long as he doesn't go to a pitcher's pitcher's park, he doesn't sign for Oakland somehow and go to the Coliseum. Like, so long as he is hitting in a average or better hitter's park, like, I think he reverts back to kind of the Trevor story that we know and love of that we've expected for the last, like, five, six years. And I right. think he can punch his way up. He's still got the speed. He's still got the power. He can still hit for average. And I think there will be a level of motivation that he finally has that just simply has not been there with the Rockies. So yeah. I like Trevor story maybe a little bit more than others. But for those reasons, I keep him inside my top eight. Yeah, that's that's totally fair. I mean, he was – a person that I considered anywhere from seven to 12. Like that is just kind of where we're at. And it's, it's the same thing for Francisco Lindor. I considered him anywhere from seven to 12 as well. Like a guy that you have to keep in mind of how good this player was before their struggles. The concern with me with Francisco Lindor was 2020. Again, we kind of wipe it out, but 2020 wasn't great for Francisco Lindor either. Now he finished the year playing near that Francisco Lindor level. And I do think the adjustment to the league is going to be a big thing. So I think he's a shortstop one. He's just not a guy that I can, I don't see him breaking into this top six that we have. Do I think he could be the seven to 12 shortstop? Yeah, obviously. Cause I have him ranked between seven and 12, but I will admit that of all of the shortstop we've talked about, and the only one we haven't talked about in the top 12 is Carlos Correa, and his his case is pretty obvious too. He certainly, I think, has the lowest floor of any of the shortstops that we've discussed. You're talking about Lindor? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you have to say it now. I think of all the people whose names I moved up and down my rankings while trying to put this, Lindor's was the one that made the, that made the most movement. Because, yeah. again, like you said, I remember what he was for, what, 2015 uh, to 2019, essentially. Like, I remember what those years were and 30-plus home runs and 90-plus RBIs from basically the leadoff spot and just doing everything that you could possibly want. And then the last two years have just been bad. And like you said, you can wipe 2020 to a certain extent, but 2021, 
it's still not leading up to the level that you expect for a guy who's making $300 million in a contract. And at one point was being talked about in the same conversation as, you know, a top three shortstop in the league. So I, I, I worry about him. I know the roster is better around him. He has every opportunity and every ounce of talent to make both of us look foolish and be a top five shortstop this year. But at the same time, if I'm ranking to say, who would I pick over another? I just do not feel comfortable picking Francisco Lindor uh, over, you know, over guys like Corey Seager, over guys like Wander Franco, over guys like yeah. Trevor Story. Like, I just don't feel comfortable with it. Yeah, that's totally fair. And I, I would just echo those sentiments. But I will say this. We could be talking about in July, like, what the heck were we thinking? Oh, yeah. of oh, no, that, we could look real yeah. stupid right now yeah. for what we just uh, said. Yes. But yeah. he has I, he has that talent. But yeah. he's, he's got to prove it. You just got to show it again. Just remind I, us how good you are. That's all I ask. Right. So before we get into the, the second part and we get into uh, your sweet, sweet ad read, let's talk about Carlos Correa because it's the only one we haven't talked to. Yeah, the please. thing about me with Carlos Correa is there, it looks like it's going to be one of two teams. It looks like it's going to be the Yankees or it's going to be the, the Cubs. If it's the Yankees, I feel very confident about him being a top 10 shortstop. Like he was really good last year. If he's on the Cubs, I'm a little worried. And it's because he's not going to get a chance to drive. That that lineup does not present a ton of RBI chances. And the other thing is, like, Car the, the Carlos Correa is going to hit a ton of homers if he's playing for the Yankees. Should hit a decent amount if he's playing for the Cubs, but it's not guaranteed. And also, this guy has really not shown that he can put together back-to-back -back quality seasons since the, be since the middle of the last decade. Like, his OPS over the last five seasons – 850, 709, 926, 728. There is that chance that Carlos Correa, because he doesn't have a great approach at the plate, is going to hit in that 240, 250 range. And that's the scary thing for me with Carlos Correa. But if he's playing for the Yankees, the average won't really bug me that much. Like he can hit that 279, 280, and he's also going to hit plenty of homers. But if he's on the Cubs, I think you have to drop him a little bit. I don't see him just overall. I don't see him being on the Yankees just because I don't see the Yankees spending the money on him just with the with the top of their farm so being so shortstop heavy. I don't get, don't but, get me wrong. No, no. Yeah, if the Yankees yeah. are going to spend money, I'd rather they spend on a second pitcher, which doesn't exist, or Freddie Freeman or something along those lines. But I want a left-handed bat in that lineup more than I want anything else. But when you talk about Carlos Correa, like he is such, he's a better real life player than fantasy player. He doesn't 100%. give you, does not give you stolen bases. Last year was a phenomenal year. But if he doesn't match those numbers from last year, he's a shortstop two. Like he's not a right. shortstop one. And, right. uh, you know, he's a high end shortstop two, but he's not a shortstop one. So right. I think, yes, it very much depends on what team he ends up going to. And if he were a Cub, I might knock him down this list a little farther. But, uh, until we know, I'm just going to pretend like I'm just looking at him as a person. But sure. he's just a better real-life player than fantasy player. And sometimes that disconnect looks jarring on a on a ranking sheet because you're like, dude, he's one of the best postseason hitters we've seen in the last like two decades. But you're like, yeah, but that doesn't mean a whole lot in terms of the fantasy aspect. So right. I have him at 12. I have him just at the tail end of my shortstop one in a 12-team standard. Um, in a 10-team, like I'd be great with him as my middle infielder. Right. That, I think that's fair. I, I, and again, I have him at 11, so it's a very small difference. Yeah. But I do think if he ends up on a Yankee, I think he maybe gets that bump up. I think he's going to be a Cub now. And that is all due respect. Love you, Chicago. You're one of my favorite cities, despite your bad pizza. And you actually have really good pizza, by the way. You just you're, you're, the style that you're famous for yeah. is not the best, but it's not good pizza. Yeah, it, it, it's it's not a great situation for Carlos Correa in terms of fantasy if he does land in Cubby Blue. Speaking of that promo read you so graciously alluded to, the 2022 NBC Sports Edge Fantasy Baseball Draft Guide, yeah, that award-winning team. Award-winning. Award-winning team is available now, and we're giving our listeners a special offer. Get 22% off our draft guide and an annual Edge Plus subscription when you use promo code BASES22. We get you ready for your fantasy draft with expert insight and tools at one low price. So go to NBCSportsEdge.com slash Edge Plus and then use promo code BASES22 at checkout to save big this season. Let's talk about, you mentioned the Cubs on the last spot, and let's talk about the guy who used to be there, Javi Baez. I have him at number 10 on my list. You have him outside your top 12. 
Just barely. I know you have been. I know you have been down on Javi Baez's love of the swingy bat. You know he, yeah. he loves to uh, he loves to take that bat off his shoulder. He doesn't like leaving it there. And you know I think that's perfectly fair. An OBP at three nineteen is not anything close to elite. But an OPS he continues to put an OPS over eight every given year, pretty much thirty one home runs, eighty seven RBIs, eighty runs, and eighteen stolen bases last year. All very good numbers mm-hmm. um, from any position, including the shortstop position. And he's now going to a Detroit team that he should be featured at the top of the lineup with hopefully, I think uh, with hopefully a Spencer Torkelson jumping up soon to uh, give him a little lineup protection. So talk to me about Javi Baez. Where do you have him ranked on your top 25 and, uh, and where do you, what is his outlook for this year? So he's 13 for me. He just missed being that, that shortstop one for me. And if he ends up your shortstop one, I totally get it because he's going to, even even if Comerica, which is what I I think it's still called, it's I, still I honestly, Comerica. Yeah, yeah. Um, thank you for sticking with something there. Uh, it's uh, it's the power is going to be there for him, but I just a hundred eighty four to twenty eight strikeout to walk ratio yeah. is just so concerning, and like it's there's just too much volatility for me to put him above, and that's weird to say because I have a literal prospect who has never played a game of Major League Baseball ranked ahead of him. But there was just a little too much volatility for me to rank him at that at that spot. I have – you have to acknowledge the ceiling because the ceiling is, like Michael Jordan said, the ceiling is through the roof. But that floor is low, man. That floor mm-hmm. is really, really low. And Fernando uh, – excuse me, Javi Baez is not the spring chicken I think a lot of people think. He's 29 now. So we are going to see so old. some twenty. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's, old. it's it's, it's you ridiculous. Ancient, ancient man. I can't believe you chose that. Yeah, exactly. But it, it is something like we. This is generally when we start to see. And Javi Baez relies on bat speed, maybe yes. more than any player in baseball. And it's something that you have to be cognizant of if, if that starts to drip, because if he's not hitting three hundred, and if he doesn't provide. 30 homers, and if he's not like a incredible BABIP guy that he's been for most of his career, I know his average is 264, but like the power is going to have to be so legit to justify be, him being your starting shortstop if he's hitting 240, 250, and there's just so much risk of that. I, I'm a risk averse guy when, usually with this type of stuff. And again, it's funny to say when I have a prospect ranked ahead of him who has never played a major league baseball game, but there's a lot of risk that I think you have to acknowledge with bias. Chris, you are very risk adverse for veterans, but very optimistic for prospects. It's so weird. It's, it's, it's very optimistic for them, and you know, I get it. It's, it's the level yeah. of like, hey, look, I want to, I want to yeah. be optimistic rather than yeah. be pessimistic. I get sure. it. I'm all for that. Yeah. yeah. Let's talk about those guys outside the top twelve. So I found it interesting, regardless of where we have them. You know, you have Bobby Witt inside your top twelve. I have him just outside, essentially at fifteen or sixteen. But right. we basically have the same top twelve. And I think that should be emphasized. Like, there's your shortstop one tier. Because really, yep. once you get past that, now it's now there's now we're question marks. Now we're talking about guys who might be able to help you in a couple categories, but you can't bank on them across the board, or there's a lot of you know asterisks or red flags associated with them. Let's right. talk about a couple of them here. Uh, I have Jazz Chisholm at 13. I have Jorge Polanco at 14. I have Adelbunter Mondesi at 15. Dansby Swanson at 17, Willie Adamez at 18, Chris Taylor at 19, and Jake Cronenworth at 20. Round out your top 20 for me. Okay, so my top 20 is Baez at 13, Chisholm at 14, Jorge Polanco at 15, Alberto Mondesi at 16, Gleyber Torres at 17, and then at 18, and I think I'm going to be the high guy on this guy all year, Brendan Rodgers is at 18 for me, Jake Cronenworth 19, and Willie Adamez 20. Great. I want to talk about a couple of these names. And let's start with Alberto Mondesi, because you know what? That is just an enigma wrapped inside of himself and Al- yeah. Alberto Mondesi. Like, what do you do with him? Like, he just he, he could not stay healthy last year, got injured early. People spent a top four round pick on him and got absolutely nothing out of that for 90% of the year. Played only 30, 35 games due to an injury. And yet in those 35 games, still 15 bases. Yeah. So, I mean, it just, he is such a cheat code on the base paths that we have to wonder, is he more of a Billy Hamilton in the sense that like, 
we, you know, a below average hit tool, but just blazing speed? Or can he get up to a level? Can he get on base enough that he can use those stolen bases and potentially hit with a little bit more power to be a top 10 shortstop? (laughs) It's so hard. Like, here's the thing. Like, he has never played more than 102 games in a season. Yeah. Here's the funny thing, though. In 2020, he played 59 games, and we only had a 60-game season. So it looked like the health thing was starting to kind of go back in his way. But then, of course, he only plays 35 games in a 162-game season. Like, you have to be cognizant of the injuries. You just can't expect him to hit for a high average anymore. I'm sorry. Like, his approach at the plate is worse than Javier Baez's approach at the plate is. Like, 276 is that career high. I think 276 is going to remain that career high, to be completely honest with you, even as fast as he is. The other thing with me with Mondesi is he's going to be third base eligible, and he's going to be third base eligible for a long time. I like him more as my third baseman, knowing that I can have that advantage of if he's my starting third baseman, he's going to steal a heck of a lot more bases than any other third baseman that I have, while providing decent power, maybe, like, He's never shown that he can do it over a full season, but the exit velocity numbers suggest that there's more pop in this bat. To be completely honest, I have him ranked 16th. I won't draft out Alberto Mondesi. I don't think I'll ever draft him again. There is just too much scariness involved with his profile and not enough production. As good as the stolen bases are, I can find them elsewhere with combining with better players. It's it's funny, like... You go back to that old quote about uh, Nolan Ryan, where the owner said that I can find two 10 win pitchers to replace the 20 wins that Nolan Ryan is going to give me. Well, that was obviously nonsense, but it actually kind of makes sense with a player like Adalberto Mondesi. Go get two better players that are going to steal 15 to 20 bases and also help you in other categories rather than draft him. He, uh, Even though I have him ranked as a guy that you can put in your middle infield spot, I don't know if the risk outweighs the reward. Again, Chris, I hate agreeing with you quite so much as I have today, but I agree yeah. wholeheartedly with you here. It's so scary. It would, take, it would take Mondesi cascading down draft boards for me to add him to my roster. Now, don't get me wrong. If he were sitting there in like the 13th, 14th round, and all of a sudden he's still sitting on the board and like, look, if he happens to put even a 250 season together, like he could win you a category. Fine. Oh, yeah. I can take the flyer on that at that point. But – I, I've seen some people on baseball Twitter talking about like this is the year Alberto Mondesi like puts in puts in everything and puts it all together. And I'm just he can be on your roster for that experiment because he's not going to be on mine for it. I just don't I don't feel comfortable drafting him on that front. Just on 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 hopes and prayers. If yeah. I if I am completely if I've completely punted on stolen bases up until this point, sure maybe I can reach, but otherwise. No, I'm with you. I'd rather get two guys who can get me 15, 20 and try and call it a day. Yeah, um, You scary. talked about Glaber Torres. You have him at 17. I have him at 21. I mean, I know how high you were on him entering the 2021 season. And yeah. honestly, so was I. And both of us look like fools at the end. <laughs> sure. um, even though he is now going to be the second baseman for the Yankees, he will hold shortstop eligibility for this year after playing the majority at the position. Hit only nine home runs with 51 RBIs last year. Did steal 14 bases, which I'll which I'll be honest with you, I thought was I, I didn't think he hit 14 or stole 14, no. but right. nine home runs after the first two years in the majors where he hit over 50, he has hit a total of I think 13 since uh, 12. 12. Okay, yeah, so it's just been real bad and. Again, he's a guy with high upside. Like, could he all revert back? Can he turn it back? Sure. He's super young. Like, I don't want to put close the book on this guy just yet. But hard for me to put him inside my top 20 just after the last two years of just not looking like the same player. No, it's definitely a a risky thing, which is weird to say. And so all we're doing is r- ranking right. baseball players. Especially but it's, at this point, it's all risk, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's like, but it's, I can't ignore the player that I saw in 2019 and the fact that Gleyber Torres, still a young guy. He's going to play all of this year as a 25-year-old. I expect him to be markedly better in the average category, which is one of the reasons why I can justify ranking him. I don't think he hit 62 homers in those first two seasons. I don't think we're ever going to see him 
hit 30 to 35 homers again. I hope I'm wrong because I really like the kid. I think he's a really fun player to watch. And I think he's got some really unjust criticism from fans who just don't know what the heck they're talking about, to be completely honest with you. Could not agree more. But at the same time, I can't ignore the fact that so many of those homers came against the Baltimore (laughs) Orioles in just a weird, weird stretch. And if you you take away that stretch, I mean – the, the, the power numbers were still good, especially for a shortstop. The other thing is, is this is probably your last year to really, really draft overdraft Torres, for lack of a better term, because I don't know if he's ever going to be shortstop eligible again either. Like he is a bad defensive player, like ranks in the bottom one percentile and outs above average. So, yeah, there there is a ton of risk with Torres, But if he ends up being my starting middle infielder, I feel OK about it because I do think he's going to hit for a higher average while providing 20 homers and about 15 stolen bases, or excuse me, 10 to 15 stolen bases. Look, I hope you're right, because I was so tantalized by his first two years in the league, oh, and, it yeah. just feels, and it just feels such a, like, it feels jarring looking at the first two years stat lines and the last two years stat lines. Like, it just jarring. It looks like two different players, and I don't yeah. understand exactly why, and I very much hope he reverts back to the former you mentioned Brendan Rodgers. I have him at 23. You have him at 18? Yeah. Is that what I heard? Okay. Yeah. Um, I look, I like Brendan Rodgers a lot. 284 average last year, an OPS just shy of eight, 15 homers and 51 RBIs in limited action in Colorado. He will get a full run this year for the Rockies. Obviously, getting the Coors Field effect for half of his home uh, for half of his season for 81 home games. Look, he's really good. Do I believe in him quite as much as I believe in some of the other guys? Or at least do I believe that, say, especially at this point in the draft, I can bank on the power of Eugenio Suarez. I can, you know, there are certain certain players who give you a guarantee at a category or two. Brendan Rodgers could be really good across all of them. I just don't know if he ever gives me anything elite in any one particular category. Yeah, that's the thing is I'm banking on him taking that step up just as a, a, a former prospect guy. And I saw big improvements from Brendan Rodgers in 2021. I really, really solid player that the eye test tells me is going to keep getting better. Never going to steal a ton of bases. So that's the reason why I don't know if he's ever going to be a shortstop one. In fact, I know he's not going to be a shortstop one because he's going to play second base for the rest of his career, I think. But that's something that I think you have to keep in your mind. The tough players to me to rank at the end of this draft or at the end of this thing were Dansby Swanson. I ended up having at 21, Brandon Crawford at 22, Eugenio Suarez at 23, O'Neal Cruz at 24, and Paul DeYoung Mm -hmm. at 25. Like, Interesting. Okay. All of these guys, I can see getting into that 13 to 18 range, but I have to like leave off some pretty solid players too. Eugenio Suarez is probably the most interesting because like the power is going to be there. Like he can help you win a power category. Is he ever going to hit for average again? Like, and I, I kind of know. We almost have to define hit for average. Yeah, that's the thing. Look, look, if you hit 240 as Eugenio Suarez, like, we could work with that. Yeah, that's a great point. We could bank home that point. If you're going to hit 198 most of the year, if you're going to be under the Mendoza line, like, we're going to have a different conversation. So that's what I should have said is, is he going to help you lose the average category, basically? And that's the big question here. Like, there is no doubt that I, to me that he's going to put up, especially if he's playing for the Reds, which he's going to be doing. Nobody's training for that contract right now. The power is going to be there. It's just a matter of can he be in that 240 to 250 range to justify being in that spot? But if he can, like he's going to fall way down draft boards. I think there's some really big upside with Eugenio Suarez to suggest that ranking him at 23 is maybe a mistake. I mean, I have him at 22, so we're pretty similar on that front. Unfortunately, those red flags that come along with them are just huge red flags. Red. Yeah, He's glaringly red. But yep. hell, at some point, for a stretch this past year, he wasn't even a starter on his own team. Kyle Farmer had taken over the spot along with Jonathan India and others. So there was even a conversation of like, does he get the playing time? So, uh, but I like him quite a bit just in terms of what you can bank on. You can guarantee basically 30 home runs and 70 RBIs just as long as he gets the at-bats to get there. You mentioned Brendan Crawford, um, your other son. My Look, other he son. had a career. He had a career year. How many sons you got now? He's, uh, uh, no. He had a career year. Never <laughs> enough. 
career year in his age 34 season, uh, most homers run scored in RBIs in a single season of his career, highest batting average by a sizable margin, mm-hmm. had an OPS just shy of nine. Look, there's if you played fantasy baseball last year, you know what Brendan Crawford did because that was that astounding. Yeah, uh, Chris, you've got him outside your top 20. I've got him inside the top 25. Both of us kind of feel the same way. Like, congratulations, buddy, but I ain't banking on that to happen again. No, that's the thing. It's like, like Brendan Crawford to me is the definition of a better real life player than a fantasy player. He just happened to have that career and good for him, man. It was fun to watch. And he's uh, a giant favorite, um, literally and figuratively. Like he is a huge, very popular guy in San Francisco. It's just, it's hard for me to see him replicating any of the numbers that he put up last year. And I even think we saw a little bit of a swing down towards the end of the year. Obviously good enough to help them have the best record in baseball, I believe, at mm-hmm. one point, if not overall. Like, the, he was a special player. I just can't see it again. That being said, if he ends up being my middle infielder in those bottom half of the rounds, mm-hmm. I feel okay about it because yeah. I can see 270. I can see 15 to 20 homers. I just think you are making a mistake if you are expecting – anywhere close to the numbers that Brandon Crawford put up. And another guy, like a guy that I think we have to talk about here too is Willie Adamas because please. Thank you. Willie Adamas is a guy that I really struggled ranking at one point. I had him in the top 15 at one point. I had him all the way down to 25. I know that Willie Adamas is much, much better than the player. We saw him with Tampa Bay to begin 2021, because if he was worse, he would be in high A, Mm -hmm. but I don't think he's the player that we saw with the Brewers either. I just don't think it's that kind of upside because when he was with the Brewers, like if you if you uh, extrapolate what he did over a full season, he would have been a shortstop one by a lot. Yeah. So it's just really hard for me to justify Willie Adams being a shortstop one. But I, I will readily admit I may be three or four spots too low on Willie Adams. Where do you have him? I have him exactly at 20. Okay, I have him at 18. Um, yes, I look, his numbers with the Brewers last year, 283 with 19 homers and 57 RBIs with an 875 OPS across 98 games. That looks like a completely different player than the one we saw in Tampa Bay. And you know what? Right. Maybe there is something to be said about getting out. Look, Tampa Bay does a great job of roster construction. They do a great job of in-game management, but it doesn't have it does not seem to be the place for players to kind of flourish their offensive capabilities. Like you are a part of in a machine that has one simple goal, kind of very much like a new England Patriots of baseball where you're like, look, <laughs> we're going to continue to do what we do. We don't right. particularly care about your individual achievements. William sure. Dama seemed to get out of that and really flourish. I have him in at 18. I'd have no problem with him being my middle infielder. Uh, I wouldn't want him to be my starting shortstop, but I'd have no problem with him being a middle infielder. I think he has, 20 home runs. Again, if you just look at what he did with the Brewers, I think he can do that over the course of a season. 20 home runs, 60 RBIs. Like that feels that feels within the realm of possibility. And that absolutely has a spot on fantasy rosters. Absolutely. Um, let's talk about just one or two other people. I so yeah, give me some final parting shots on anybody else. I'm gonna quickly discuss Dansby Swanson. Look, if that if that average could just bump up into like the 270s where I think we wanted to. He could be a top 12 shortstop, 27 home runs, 88 RBIs, 78 runs, nine stolen bases last year on a Braves team that should be bringing back. Again, we don't know what's happening with Freddie Freeman, and I still can't believe we're at that spot. But even if Freddie Freeman were to leave, that roster is still very deep and very good for a defending championship team. Uh, Dansby Swanson is still a major part of it, especially if he ends up getting like that two spot in the lineup where he was playing a lot last year. If so, I like him a lot. I have him at 17. I know you're a little down on him more, but uh, yeah. Dansby just continues, I think, to kind of be under to be under the radar a little bit when it comes to the shortstop position because he continues to put up good counting stats. Yeah, and he's to me, he's basically the right-handed version of Brandon Crawford, and that's not mm-hmm. an insult. It's just, and I think he's a little more likely to hit for power than Crawford is, even though Crawford put up solid uh, power numbers in 20, uh, 2021. Um, a name that I just want to touch on real two names. I want to touch on real quick because yeah, I think they offer a ton of volatility, jazz Chisholm and O'Neill Cruz jazz Chisholm has a chance to be a fantasy superstar and it may not happen this year may not happen at all because he's going to have to work on a lot of things. He's going to have to hit for a better average in order to reach that fantasy superstar status. 
but he, he went, the ball jumps off this dude's bat and he can fly. And he's also one of my favorite players to watch. Like he's yeah, just, just such a fun guy. Um, O'Neal Cruz, this is probably your last chance to have him as a shortstop. Like, I think they're going to try him at shortstop. It's just hard for me to see somebody who has Aaron Judge's height sticking at shortstop. But look, the ball, he clobbers the baseball. He was really impressive, especially in that late call-up. I don't know if he's going to make the opening day roster. So that's a guy that I, you need to have as like a bench guy if you're going to roster him. But O'Neill Cruz has a chance to be a like a 280, 290 hitter with 20 homers and double digits stolen bases. And I think is going way too underlooked. I know DJ Short is a huge fan of yeah. O'Neill Cruz as well. And he's, I mean, he's okay. Like DJ Short, he's not Chris Crawford, but he like, he, he, he has a general idea of what he's talking about. O'Neill Cruz is somebody I think you need to start considering at the end of drafts. Yeah, he's a good late round flyer. Just someone to throw on that roster. A good lottery ticket. That's all you're really looking for in the the twenties, you know, the twenty plus rounds. Um, also, just give a quick shout out to Ahmed Rosario. Even though he's technically playing outfield for the Indians, he still does still have shortstop eligibility. Uh, Eleven home runs, fifty seven RBIs, seventy seven runs scored, and thirteen stolen bases last year with a two seventy eight average. Um, nothing again jumping off the page, but solid numbers around. Remember, this was a guy who was talked about as a very top, uh, you know, a top prospect just a few years ago, getting a new life with Cleveland. Uh, I could see, I could see him kind of taking another step up this year. Granted, he'll be playing more outfield, but he still counts as a shortstop. Just one thing on that. Guardians What's that? Colin. Guardians. Did I say, did I, well, did so, I say Indians? I think I said, I think I said just Cleveland. I think I no. just said Cleveland. No, did you I? Said, you, you said. All right, well, you know it's what? That's okay. It's going to take a, years, a long honestly. time. Me too. I, Me there's too still much. the congratulations to the St. Louis Rams that just won the Super Bowl. By the way, <laughs> I, said that, I said that at least ten times during the Super Bowl. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but that just about finishes up our show for today. If you like what you're hearing, make sure you are subscribed to Circling the Bases wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, please be sure to rate and review us. You can follow me on Twitter at CalDon'tLie, and you can follow Chris at Crawford underscore M-I-L-B. Be sure to tune back in later this week as DJ and Drew deep dive into the hot corner and name their top 25 third baseman, so make sure you don't miss it. So until then, stay safe out there, and as always, thanks for listening. Let the Mets play, let, let John Smith play shortstop. <laughs> <laughs>